let's understand it. There are often shadows and discouraging times in our lives. What, what seems to be uh, the culture would have us be a time filled with joy uh, really becomes a time of shadows for many of us. And the thing is, God is aware of that. And, and it's exactly in these shadows that God sent the Christ child. And so um, as we navigate today, maybe for you, uh, it's more than just a stressful time. Maybe for you, it's, it's a, a depressing time. You're not alone. Maybe the sight of an occupied crib reminds you heartbreakingly of an empty crib. Maybe the sight of a united family reminds you of a splintered or separated family. And if you are looking forward to December 26th, more than you are looking forward to December 25th, you're not alone. And I have a word for you this morning. And that word is simply this, joy. This is really kind of the focus of this week. The different weeks of Advent each have a theme. And this week's theme, as uh, this Audrey read to us, was, was joy. Even as we sang earlier today uh, with joy to the world and, and read the scriptures about coming in joy, uh, this is where we want to focus our thoughts here just uh, this morning. And so um, as we look at the text, the title of the message is a life-changing birth announcement. You know, birth announcements are kind of popular nowadays. They weren't popular when I had kids. Um, but um, I guess it was popular in Jesus' day because there was a life-changing and eternity-changing birth announcement that happened. And, um, and uh, I know uh, today it's cool to do not just birth announcements, but to do gender reveal announcements. And uh, I haven't done any of those, but uh, one of our pastors here, Pastor Caleb, who we just recently sent off to uh, plant a church in Little Creek, they did a birth announcement for their last child, and he was into baseball. And so y'all have seen these maybe. These things are super popular. People do all kinds of things. They, 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 he was a baseball player, so uh, his wife threw a ball to him, and he hit it, and it dissolved into a thing of smoke. And if it was blue smoke, it was a boy. If it was pink smoke, it was a girl, right? You got it. So these are really popular. I've heard people do crazy things, though. Like putting um, some sort of huge, hard ball filled with food coloring in the mouth of an alligator. Can I just tell you, that's not a good way to announce the birth of your child. Just something about that spells out, this is not going to go right. I mean, people do some crazy things. And in this Gospel of Luke here, chapter 2, we're going to see a crazy birth announcement coming to some people who, who you wouldn't think would get the announcement, Right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the Messiah, comes to the earth. He leaves the throne room of heaven, and he, and he comes to the earth. And you would think, who would get the birth announcement? The kings, right? Maybe the emperor of Rome. He would get a birth announcement, right? They would put it on Twitter, and they'd invite all the news media to be there, and they'd, and they'd create a social media campaign and some ads for Facebook and all that sort of stuff. And that's who the birth announcement would go to, would be the royal people. But that's not who got the birth announcement, is it? Maybe it would be even King Herod, king of that area, king of Judea. But he didn't get the birth announcement either. Maybe it would be the, the religious folks. Jesus uh, came as a religious Messiah, the Son of God. So maybe it would be the religious leaders. The Pharisees were kind of the, the, the main religious leaders in those days, along with a group called the Sadducees, or maybe even the high priest, the highest religious figure in their society. Maybe he would get the invitation, the birth announcement. But guess what? You know the story, perhaps. He didn't get it either. Who got the birth announcement? As we saw uh, earlier on the stage, the shepherds got the birth announcement. And do you know what shepherds uh, are known for? Being stinky. 
I mean, just picture it. You spend all day outside keeping watch over flocks and hanging around animals. I'm sure the wives and the other spouses of the shepherds uh, were investing in some essential oils uh, to help those folks big time. And, um, and so they're, they're stinky. They're, they're also simple uh, because shepherds were not educated. They, they, they could not read nor write, and they weren't looked upon as the greatest in their society. Now, they were important because especially in Israel, they had the, the religious sacrificial system, and so the shepherds needed to take care of the sheep who could be provided for their religious services and, and the sacrificial lambs and all that stuff. But they weren't viewed as an important person. They were kind of like a garbage man. They were kind of like a sanitation worker. How many of you know we need sanitation workers? Amen? But they're not real high on the priority list to send out the invites to. But if they don't show up for work, oh, we're calling the city, right? Let them not pick up your recycling or those bags of leaves, right? And we will be calling. Where are they at? You know, and, and those are important people. And so here is God sending the birth announcement to the shepherds, to the lonely, to the lowly, to the humble, to the marginalized even, to the poor. This is who God gives the birth announcement. This is who he comes to. And he even uses normal people to do it. Mary and Joseph. As I heard one pastor say, he said, I don't like to call them Mary and Joseph anymore. I like to call them Norm and Norma. Not from Bethlehem, but from Normalville. Just your average, everyday people. And this is who God is sending his birth announcement to. And it's that reminder that God has come for all of us. And so if you'll join me as we look at Luke chapter 2, just uh, some verses here and they'll make some application then be on our way to celebrate the rest of uh, Christmas here. We're going to begin in verse 8 of chapter 2, and it says this. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. Could you imagine that? And they were filled with what? Great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Reach over, touch your neighbor, get to know him a little bit today and say, I've got good news of great joy. It's okay. You don't have to be shy. You get to meet some new people today. I've got good news of great joy. Pick the second person you didn't want to speak to a second ago. Reach behind you. Tell them, I won't treat you like a shepherd. Good news of great joy. This is where the focus is of our thoughts here this morning. Good news of great joy, because the word for today is joy. Notice who it's for, though. That will be for how many of the people? All people. Not just the rich people. Not just the poor people. Doesn't matter your age, your class, or your gender. It's good news of great joy for all people. Verse 11. What is this good news of great joy? Verse 11 tells us, For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a what? A Savior. That's the good news of great joy. Who is Christ the Lord? And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I bet this scared the daylights out of the shepherds. Now, keep in mind, these shepherds have not experienced any technology. They have never seen a helicopter. They have never seen an airplane. They have never seen a drone. 
They have never seen a cell phone. They have never seen anything mechanical move, not even as much as a bicycle. This is probably like the first UFO sighting, right? Angel appears, and then all of a sudden the Bible says a host, meaning like an army, a multitude of heavenly angels just appear out of nowhere. I bet they had a little accident in their shorts. The angels had a good, good message there. It says, glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. And then verse 15, when the angels had went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, here's what the shepherds said, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. Man, they, were, they believed the message. They were ready to go check it out. Amen? Verse 16, and they went with haste. They found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. Verse 18, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God, for all they had heard and seen, they were eyewitnesses, ladies and gentlemen. Notice, for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told to them, the heavenly announcement that they had been given was an accurate one. Let's pray together, and then we'll uh, talk about this, and then be on our way. Father, thank you for your word. God, as we examine it, as we gather around it, your word speaks to us. It's not just dry ink on dead wood, not just some some book from a long, long time ago. This is living and active, is what. It claims about itself. The word of God speak into hearts in every generation, in every household, wherever we would open our hearts. And so I just pray right now, God, for all of us, that we'd have open hearts to hear your word. And I, I pray for you as you're sitting there in your seat. And I want to invite you, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, I invite you to have a little conversation with God and maybe just say something like this in the quietness of your heart. Would you say this at your seat just quietly and say, Lord, speak to me. Lord, speak to me today. Let's say something like this, Lord, open my heart. Lord, open my heart to see you more clearly, to see you more clearly. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. I just want to share with you three quick thoughts about joy and how we can have joy this Christmas. Point, point number one is simply this. Joy comes from standing in awe of God. Joy comes from standing in awe of God of God. I imagine these uh, shepherds were in awe of God. And I know we live today in a society, right, that is, is often so sophisticated with all of our technology, with all of our knowledge, with, with Google at our fingertips. And, and we can uh, believe that we're so smart and so intelligent that we often get jaded towards anything uh, that is supernatural, anything that is awe-inspiring. I used to teach science. Uh, I was a teacher and uh, I love science. And um, in fact, part of reading science books, as oddly as it sounds, was part of the reason that drew me to Christ. I didn't grow up as a believer. And, um, and it was through the understanding of how God made the world that I was blown away. But how I many know there's a difference between standing in awe of a sunset, um, you know, that has pinks and blues and the whites and blues just all scattered. There's something different between standing in awe of that sunset versus going, well, you know, the scientific explanation is that when the sun is at a lower angle and because of the molecules of oxygen and nitrogen in the atmosphere, it refracts the light at these different angles. And that's what creates the pink and the blues and all that sort of stuff. There's a difference between those, right? 
Sometimes all of our knowledge has lessened our awe of what's really going on. I mean, seeing things that God has placed all around us should inspire us with awe. But many smart people like me are too enlightened to believe that God is still doing great things. Amen? That God is still worthy of our awe. And in fact, sometimes it's because we don't, we don't have joy because we are not standing in awe of God. Look with me just at verse 9. Again, as we see with the shepherds there, it says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them. So we've got an angel of the Lord appearing to them. And then what happens next? And the what? The glory of the Lord shone all around them, and they were filled with great fear. The glory of God is something that no eye can truly comprehend. The glory of God is something more majestic than Maui, as we were talking with some folks just before the service about the beauty of uh, the West Coast and Washington and all that sort of stuff. If God created those mountains, if God created that, that ocean, how much more glorious is He? I mean, if He gave us good gifts like Christmas cookies and ice cream, how much greater is He? If He gave you little, little puppies that run around and chase their tails and, <laughs> and do all kinds of cute things, how much greater is God that we could stand in awe of Him? And so would you stand in awe of God? Real, spiritually healthy people are people who are still in awe and reverence and even fear God. Some people say, well, pastor, could you love God and fear God? Should we fear Him more than we love Him or whatever? It's both. I can love a fireplace and fear a fireplace at the same time, amen? I love the warmth. I love the crackling. I love getting some s'mores. But I also know if I'm too close to it, I'm going to burn the back of my hand. I can love it and fear it at the same time. The same is true with God. Think about the sun, right? It's a great analogy. It still doesn't, doesn't really compare. But go ahead and look at the sun for me, right, when you go out today. Don't look at the sun. You know better than that, right? Why not? If you stare at the sun, the glory of its radiance will burn a hole in your retina in case you weren't sure what would happen. It'll burn a hole. The sun. You couldn't stand in the presence of the sun. Its heat and power would consume you. You should be in awe and reverence of the sun. 93 million miles away, yet it still heats and warms this earth in an incredible way and gives us all the things that we see here, it's amazing. The same is true of God, right? I don't know about you, but I learned how to look at the sun uh, when I took an astronomy class because there was a way to gaze upon the sun. You could uh, get a, you know what those things are called, help me, telescope. Thank you for your help. Appreciate that. And um, a telescope, and then you got to put a filter on it. And then once you put the filter on it, then you can gaze upon the sun. You can see the different sunspots. You can see the solar flares coming off of it. And it is magnificent but you needed a filter, right? And here comes Jesus. Here is God, more magnificent than 10,000 suns, right? And to stand before His glory deserves our awe, our reverence, our fear, our respect, but we need a filter. And here is Jesus showing us in human form. This is why the Christmas story is so important, ladies and gentlemen, because Jesus came and gave us a filter so that we could gaze upon the holiness and the majesty of God in a way that would not burn out the retina of our soul. And so we have Jesus. And so we're to stand in awe of all the things that we see, stand in, in awe of God and the gifts that he gives to us. I've been reading a book lately called uh, 1,000 Gifts by an author named 
and Voskamp. And, um, and through it, she, she has this journey to write down with a heart of gratitude 1,000 things, I think a week, that she's grateful for. If you haven't kept a gratitude list, let me tell you, it will give you joy. 1,000 things that she's grateful for. And, she, and she's helped me uh, learn to slow down to see just some of the things that are right here in front of us all the time. She wrote this about washing the dishes. Can I just tell you I hate washing the dishes? We didn't have a dishwasher for many, many years. And during that time, just something happened to my heart. It just kind of shriveled like the Grinches. And I began to despise hand-washing dishes. And I, I longed for the day when I could make it and be a successful man in life where I could finally get, oh, glorious dishwasher. And I know some of y'all are thinking, you got problems, Pastor. I don't even use a dishwasher. All right, well, some people are just more spiritual than others, but just listen to my little issues. But she wrote this about dishes, washing dishes. It's entitled Soap Suds. April is when she was doing this. She says, the April sun pools into a dishwasher sink. Liquid daylight on my hands. The water is hot. I wash dishes. My arms just below the hiked up sleeves. Suds leave their delicate watermarks and they glisten. Over the soaking pots, the soap bubbles stack and pop. Their fragile tension arched in spheres of slick elastic sheets. I only notice because I'm looking for this. I'm looking for 1,000 gifts each week. I notice the rays falling, reflecting on the outer surface of a bubble, off the rim of the bubble's inner skin. And where they meet this interference of light, this iridescence on the bubble's arch around in different colors of violet, magenta, blue, green, yellow, gold. Like the skimmer on a raven wing. The angles, the hues, brilliant fluid, light on waves of water. I touch the bubbles with wonder as the fragility quivers, bulges, merges, melds, ripens full round. Time, shimmering clear, and then bursts. Science may be able to explain the mechanics, but how the eyes of the soul see things differently. Man, I read that. I was like, I'm never viewing dishwashing the same again. This lady is amazed at soap bubbles, y'all. But let me know that's a gift from God, that if we were to slow down enough in our lives, we could find 10,000 things a day to stand in awe of them. Children breathing, children playing, Children arguing and fighting and breaking Christmas ornaments. That just happens at my house. It was so much fun yesterday. We were out shopping, and I was watching some unfortunate parent carry a squealing toddler throughout the parking lot for everyone to hear. You know how that goes? And, um, and somebody was ready to call the police because this kid was squealing, and you weren't sure. Like, was this kid in danger? Was he being kidnapped, or was he just being a brat? And um, he was just being a brat, and uh, the parents were carrying him out like that, and he was in the car. You could hear him yelling through the car, and I kind of thought, well, thank the Lord, that ain't me. And then I started to walk into the store, and then it became me. And I had to walk one of my kids into the van and have a little time of come-to-Jesus moments in there. And, um, but learning to thank God, even that I have a child to discipline and standing in awe of the fact that this kid needs some discipline right now. He needed some love, too. He needed both of those things. Um, and, and so, but just learning how to slow down and stand in awe of God. Amen. Would you do that this week? 
It'll bring you joy. Point number two is this. So point number one is standing in awe of God will bring you joy. Point number two is this. Surrendering your life to Christ brings you joy. Joy comes from surrendering your life to Christ. As we look at these shepherds, we see them not just believing the message, not simply just marveling at the message, but they surrendered to it and they gave their lives. It changed their lives. Look with me at verses 10 and 11. So here are the angels giving this crazy birth announcement. And an angel said to them in verse 10, an angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is what the world needs, a Savior. See, if, if the world had needed more finances, God would have sent an economist. If the world had needed better leading, God would have sent politicians. Maybe not. I'm not even really sure um, about that. But if the, Lord, if, if the world had needed better medical care, God would have sent a doctor. If the world had needed better reading and education, God would have sent a teacher. And all those things are important. But every human being in the entire globe has one problem that is greater than all those. It is a sin problem that has fractured our relationship with God. And if that fractured relationship continues, it causes all kinds of destruction on this earth, but will end in eternal destruction according to the Bible. It is the greatest problem that every human being has before education, before health care, before finances comes our sin problem. Those are simply results of the sin in our world and in our lives. That's what we like to call the fruit of the problem. You know how we like to deal with the fruit of the problem, not with the root? You know what I mean? It's like you got a, a stuffy nose and all that sort of stuff. You just want to go to, the, you want to, go to Rite Aid and, and just get something to take away your stuffy nose. But the real problem is you got a bacterial infection, right, that you got to get some antibiotics for, right? you got to deal with the root of the problem. The root of all of our problems is sin and has fractured our homes, our families, our neighborhoods, our worlds, all across the globe. So God sent a Savior. But I know it's just real easy to let the nostalgia hit, right? You get some warm fuzzies around Christmas time, watch some Hallmark movies, and, uh, and, and we try to just impress ourselves and get a good feeling. And we think, hey, I'm good. God is good. Everything's good. I just got some warm feelings. And I believe some things. I believe in a God. And, and everything is just wonderful. And I'll go to church. And, and, and we get wrapped up in the feelings. But we have never yet surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ, as these shepherds had to do. See, it's not enough just to get caught up in warm feelings. What does Christmas mean? It means we need a Savior. See, this is what makes Christianity different than every other world religion. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but every other world religion has a founder, uh, has a religious leader, and, and his job is to say this, hey, you people, do this, this, do this, 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 and, and then if you do all of those things, you will gain entrance into eternity. If you do this, 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 eightfold path, keep the, the five pillars, do this, this, then you will be uh, enlightened or, or you will uh, be absorbed into the cosmos. Whatever you think for you uh, happens, you, you just do all those things. But Christianity is different. It doesn't say there's a founder who says, do this, 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 and then you will get to heaven. It has a founder who claims to be God and says, I am the way to heaven. Not do these things and you'll get to heaven. But trust in me. Put your faith in me. Surrender your life and your sin to me. 
and I am the way to heaven. This is what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 6. The very words of Jesus, John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the way, the truth, and the what? Life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. And this is what he says. It's not enough to just believe in your head that a God exists. God is, is not just content to be a concept to be believed or even a great power to stand in awe of. But he desires a relationship with each one of us. And that happens as we turn from our sin and we put our trust, our faith, we surrender our lives to him. And so that, ladies and gentlemen, brings you the greatest joy. Because then you have a joy in life that all your sin is taken away, that your eternity is set, that you've been given a purpose in life by God, and you know you are loved. See, a lot of people say, well, pastor, I don't know if I believe all that. You, you, uh, doctrine is not important. Doctrine is not a big deal. You, shouldn't, you don't have to believe all that. You, just, you know what you need to do? Just be a good person. If everybody would just be a good person, that would really that would make this world a better place. Let's stop arguing about these things. And I just believe I need to be a good person, and, and everything will work out fine. Well, that's a nice Christmassy thought. But how good is good enough? How do you know when you're a good person? What's the standard you're using? Because, look, my neighbor's got a different standard than I've got. I mean, you can look at the yard and tell that, right? You can look at the Christmas lights and be like, well, they're not a good person. No Christmas lights on them. Must be some kind of Scrooge in there. And, and if we do this works-based idea of I do this, I do that, I do that, I do this, all this sort of stuff, and then I'm a good person, here's three things will happen. The first thing that will happen is, is that you'll be anxiety-ridden all the time because you'll never really know, am I good enough, right? And you'll be freaking out. And you'll be like, is this good enough? Did I do another good deed today? Is, is it all going to work out? That's the first one. You'll be filled with anxiety and, and just freaking out. The, the second one is you'll become prideful and look on disdain with everybody else. You'll think, I am a good person. I'm surely better than all those people. I go to church. I, I obey the speed limit on the highway. I buy gifts for my coworkers. I post nice things on Facebook. I have a family. I don't do anything too bad. It's all those other people out there. And you will begin to be filled with pride and disdain towards everybody else who is not meeting your, in your mind, standard. And you still aren't even sure what God's standard is. The third thing that will happen to you is that you'll just be filled with loathing and self-hatred. Because you, you'll be like, I can't meet the standard? Forget all this. And let me just medicate with things, whether it's, it's shopping, whether it's some other addiction, and, and, and I'll begin to hate myself and be filled with all kinds of depression if you do this workspace, but if you surrender to God's love for you, if you surrender to the fact that he loves us unconditionally, that's why he sent Jesus, you then begin to be filled with a love and a joy that can never be taken away, amen? So this is what God has called us to do is, is surrender, not just uh, have an idea of belief in our head, but fully surrender. And then finally is this, and we'll close with this, joy comes from sharing the hope of Christmas Joy comes from sharing the hope of Christmas. And so as we think about the text here, joy comes from standing in awe of God. Joy comes from uh, surrendering my life to Christ, but also comes from sharing the hope that is in Christmas. Look at what the shepherds did in verse 15 through 17. It says this in verse 15, When the angels went away from them into the heavens, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened. By the way, that's how we know that they had surrendered their lives, right? They were obedient to the message. They, didn't, they weren't like, hey, thanks, angels. Thanks for the message. That was an awesome concert. Man, woo. Never seen anything like that. Hey, Billy, you seen anything like that? We've never seen angels just show up like that. Woo, that's awesome. If, 
if I, if I knew what a UFO was, I'd say that might have been a UFO. I mean, just whatever it is. You know, like, that's amazing. Hey, let's go back to the sheep. Let's hang out here. We've got a few more hours for the next rotation comes in. Let's just hang out here. No, what they do? They went ahead and they, they sought out Christ. That's how you knew they were surrendered. Verse, uh, still in verse 15, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord had made known to us. Verse 16, and they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. And when they saw it, what did they do? They made known the saying. They shared the hope of Christmas. They made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. They went and shared the message. And I, and I don't know about you, but Jesus had said very plainly in the Bible, it's better to give than to receive. Amen? And many of you are participating. Some of you have helped with the angel tree that we had here in the Christmas giveaway. Some of you are doing things at your work, and you know what joy it brings you to give. But let's give even the greatest gift. Amen? The gift of the hope of Jesus Christ during Christmas time. Because it's nice to get a new bike. It's nice to get a gift card. It's wonderful to get those things. But if you got a broken soul, that gift card doesn't do you any good, does it? When you can say, I can introduce you to someone who can mend your soul. Let me tell you about Christ. He came to love all people. He came to forgive sinners. He came for the lowly, the broken. There's no sin you could commit that would keep you out of God's family. He came for you to forgive your sin. Let me tell you how you can know him. Man, that brings joy unspeakable. And so, as we navigate the last few weeks of Christmas here, could I ask you these questions again? Would you be a person who stands in awe of God, slowing down to see his hand at work in your life? Would you be a person who has surrendered your life to Christ? If you haven't done that, you can do that today. Raise the white flag and surrender, not just to a belief and some uh, idea out there, but giving your life to Christ. And would you share the message? There's somebody else who could use some encouragement this week. Someone else can use an invitation to church. Say, come on with me. Be a part of what God is doing. How would that change your home? How would that change your neighborhood? How would that change your workplace if you did some of those things? I don't know, let's be real, that, that it even has to go beyond you and change the people around you. How would that change you and me? Right? That's where the real miracle of Christmas happens is when my heart is at peace, when my heart is filled with joy as I navigate the rest of this. And so... Let's have a word of prayer, and then we're going to close with our, our final song, and, um, and then we'll be dismissed after that to get our kids and celebrate with some cookies that the Lord has so richly provided. And uh, so if you'll bow your heads with me, and uh, let's have a time of prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the joy of Christmas, for good news of great joy, which shall be for all people. A Savior is born, one who would save us from ourselves, one who would save us from the darkness of this world, who would save us from our own emotions, who would save us, most importantly, from our sins. God, we are grateful for the message of Jesus Christ, for the message of Christmas. And, and, and Lord, I'm so grateful as, as a parent, and, and uh, we love the, the, the cute little cartoons, and we love the cute little Christmas programs like this. But honestly, sometimes, Lord, I know it just feels like fake fairy tales but father i thank you that this is not a fairy tale this is reality jesus really did come in a city of david not in some made-up city in a book that we read about but a true city father god we thank you for the hope of christ an anchor for our souls an anchor to give our kids hope in not just the story we could tell them to keep them behaving for a few years and 
elf on the shelf, a naughty and nice list, but a hope we can give our young children to say, look to Christ. He loves you every day. Look to Christ. He has a purpose which he made you for. Look to Christ. Stand in awe of him because he is your maker. Father, thank you for that hope. God, we pray you be glorified through the rest of our time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.